think we are accountable. Matthew chapter 5. Merciful. The, the focus is blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Verse 7. I wanted to appropriate. Um, we need to be very, very careful to rid ourselves of any um, contemporary view of mercy that would look something like political correctness. Um, that would that would come from a baseline of no absolutes. That there are not laws. That there is not right and wrong. Um, therefore, we can't judge. Therefore, everybody's fine doing what they're doing. That is not mercy. That is not God's mercy. Um, mercy is God's mercy is completely compatible with His absolute justice. Um, so we need to understand that. In this definition of mercy, there's some there's a lot of truth in it. Just this is a dictionary definition. Um, the word in Greek is uh, is the same definition. It's not a mystery. Uh, the word is elimon is actually the adjective. Okay, be a definition. All right, pity is is a feeling in our soul. P- pity is something that is. Um, the state of our heart towards something. Mercy is actually the outward manifestation of pity. Um, you, you, you could describe it another way, which I think is one of the, the most complete definitions of it, and it would be actively compassionate. Actively compassionate. Okay? Not just a feeling of compassion, but actively compassionate, acting out. That's what mercy is. That's what God's mercy towards us is. That's what... The, let me read a couple definitions here. It is from this. The act mercy is the act of treating or the disposition to treat an offender or an enemy with less severity than he deserves. The act of treating or the disposition to treat an offender or an enemy with less severity than he deserves. Also, forbearance to injure others when one has the power to do so. Withholding, forbearance, patience to injure others when when one has the power to do so. Mercy, the word mercy actually in Greek particularly infers, assumes the need for mercy. Okay? This isn't this isn't there there is a definite need in the person for mercy. Okay? to be merciful. It's a very it's a very important it's an action word. The act of relieving suffering or the disposition to relieve it. Compassion. Okay. Unexpected or pity or the like. There's a it gives a whole list of synonyms here in antonyms. Synonyms obviously are words that are 
close to what it means. And I think there's a bunch of them that are true to give us the concept. Synonyms are benevolence, okay, blessing, clemency, compassion, favor, forbearance, forgiveness, pardon, pity, okay, tenderness. Grace is shown to the undeserving. Okay, this is just a little, this is a, again, this is just an American dictionary, English dictionary um, definition, but it's very true. Grace is shown to the undeserving. This is true of biblical grace. Grace is shown, God's unmerited favor towards us. Grace is shown to the undeserving. Forgiveness, mercy, and pardon are exercised towards the towards the ill-deserving, okay? Towards those who are not deserving, okay? Forgiveness, mercy, and pardon are exercised towards those who are ill-deserving. Pardon remits the penalty, okay? Pardon takes away the penalty. Forgiveness dismisses resentment or displeasure from the heart of the one offended. Mercy Mercy seeks the highest possible good of the offender, as by any possible alleviation of necessary severity. Okay? Mercy is also used in the sense of refraining from harshness or cruelty towards those who are in one's power without fault of their own. Okay? So, I think we need to keep that in mind the definition of mercy. I hope some of you are audible learners and you can understand that. The fact of the order that God put these in because I believe that the order builds. Okay? We will not be merciful. And let's let's be very clear about something. The necessity of us receiving mercy, um, I, we cannot overemphasize that. Okay? If we do not have the mercy of God, we are eternally damned. All right? So this is not this is not just a nice thing to add to our life. This is necessary. Blessed are the poor in spirit in verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or the humble or meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Because this is a very critical concept to grasp. Um, here's a, it's a great book. If you, is this Around the Mount by Lloyd-Jones. He, he makes some, Martin Lloyd-Jones, very important statements here. And I would ask you to, to try to consider them.
Our Lord is really saying that I am only truly forgiven when I am truly We're going to read a couple of, of explanations of what merciful looks like. One is when you have a slave who was forgiven a great debt. Right? Most of you know the story. And then he wasn't merciful towards someone who owed him a great debt. Right? That's a very important thing. The other one is the story of the Good Samaritan. Most of you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. But... It's very important to understand that the action of the Good Samaritan was merciful. We very easily look at, at the, the religious people that walked by on the other side of the road and, and we go, well, they were just terrible, arrogant, self-righteous, whatever, which they were, but, but we, we cannot in any way even infer that they didn't have pity, right? Or even feel compassion. Because they might have felt pity and they might have felt compassion for the man who was beaten up, robbed, laying as if he was dead on the side of the road. But what were they lacking? Mercy. Right? They, they were lacking the willingness to act upon their pity for this man. Alright? Mercy is a very... Mercy is... Without the mercy of God... We are entirely in trouble. Okay, it's the same. The other, the other one that I we need to refer to because it's misunderstood and hard to understand is the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debtors, Jesus said. As, as, what's that? Forgive us our debt, as we forgive our debtors, those who have debt against us. Okay, the the. Necessary act of us case is mercy. Our Lord is really saying that I am only truly forgiven when I am truly repentant. To be truly repentant means that I realize I deserve nothing but punishment. And that if I am forgiven, it is to be attributed entirely to the love of God and to his mercy and grace and to nothing else at all. But I go further, it means this, if I am truly repentant and realize my position before God and realize that I am only forgiven in that way, then of necessity I shall forgive those who trespass against me. There's a couple of other statements that I believe are very important and I, you know, this is, this is, this is writing of a, of a, Christian godly man, this is not the Bible, but this is absolute biblical truth, and we need to take it in a very sober way. For the one condition of forgiveness, this is just a couple of statements that are forgiveness is repentance. We proclaim, therefore, what we proclaim, okay, our lives proclaim, each one of us proclaim, each one of us make the statement, therefore, Receive forgiveness or not by whether we forgive or not. If I am forgiven, I shall forgive. If I am not merciful, there is only one explanation. I have never understood the grace and mercy of God. I am outside of Christ. I am yet in my sins and I am unforgiven. That's a big mouthful here. 
that we need to take seriously because that's what he says. Okay? If, if, if in the Lord's Prayer, okay, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, when he teaches that Jesus is teaching us the state of our being when we come before God. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, you, for if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. What state are we in if we're unforgiven by God? I have a word yeah, or two inappropriate to use, but we certainly are in dire straits. Okay? We certainly are desperate. We certainly are damned, literally, if we are not forgiven of God. We are absolutely dependent on the forgiveness of God. Now, again, we struggle with this because, and some people certainly struggle with this to the point where they won't even read it or deal with this. Because you can infer by this, if you didn't interpret it in the context of the rest of the Bible, that somehow what I do determines God's forgiveness towards me. Okay? That me forgiving others, right, determines or warrants or merits God forgiving me. That would be a very wrong interpretation based on the totality of the Scripture and what it says. By grace, you're saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works that any man can boast. Okay? That's a, another verse in the Bible. What it says, the Bible interprets the Bible. We need to understand, for if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. We, In Christianity, we... we particularly in these days, we tend to believe that the Bible, too often the Bible is giving us an explanation of how to try to be a Christian. And we're supposed to try to impl implement and put on the characteristics of a Christian in our life. So we're supposed to be triers and we're supposed to be about trying and, and, and trying to be good Christians. The truth is, um, in, the, in the truth of the Bible from front to back, is that the characteristics of Jesus Christ come from the inside out. Right? Come from the inside out. Not the outside in. Right? It's, again, the, we, obedience is essential. What Obedience has to be the result of us recognizing Him as Lord. Right? He says, Jesus says, very, very strongly, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you to do. Right? He, he, he says further on, he says, there will be many who call me Lord. And say, look at the things we've done in your name. Look at the miracles we've done in your name. You, you claim to have called on me, and yet, depart from me. I never knew you, he said, because you have practiced lawlessness. You who practice lawlessness. You've not been obedient to what he says. Right? So, it is not a matter of not being obedient. But the, the essential bottom line here, if we have unforgiveness of others in our heart, 
we have not been forgiven and we do not know the forgiveness of God. This is not a, this is not a condemnation. This is a proof text. Okay? Be, be sure of that. It should be something that causes proof. That now, in order for us to be in this state, we have to be in the, in the other states, right? That we've talked about this many times in that we, ha- but before this can even happen, we have to come to a state of being poor in spirit, right? We, we cannot, we cannot have mercy and be merciful before, without being poor in spirit, okay? Without recognizing our state before God. The essential, essential baseline characteristic of our life needs to be that we are poor in spirit. That we see ourselves relative to who God is, that we are at His mercy. That we are at His, His compassion and grace. We are completely dependent on that because me, in light of God, I'm a wicked, sinful, selfish man. Right? In and of myself, in and of my flesh. And he, and, and I, I want to, we need to be very careful, um, because as religious people, we can, we easily become self-righteous. Right? I don't do those really bad things. I don't do those really terrible things. I've never participated in those wicked sins. But let's be very careful. I said this, a few weeks ago and and I I think it bears repeating because God's desire for for us is never to live in overt rebellion to Him. Alright? So be very clear about that. It is not good that we have lived in sin. It is not good that we have lived a period of life in rebellion to Him. That is destructive in our lives. Period. Alright? That leaves scars. That, that, that leaves that you reap what you sow. Okay? When we sin, we put scars in our life. Sin has consequences and results. Can we know forgiveness? We can know forgiveness. It is not God's desire for us to live wickedly. Okay? That is not normal teenage behavior. That is wicked, sinful teenage behavior. Alright? What would be, so, so the, the, the concept of, of, of realizing our desperate need for a Savior because we have been desperately, overtly, outwardly wicked by the world standards even, um, is potentially a necessary conclusion we need to come to. Right? But it is not God's heart. God's heart would be what? God's heart would be to raise up children in the fear and understanding of Him. Okay? Little children. Okay? Not children that, that, that trash their lives with impurity and immorality and in drunkenness and hedonism and, and all the things of this world that go off in rebellion and act in rebellion to God. The desire would be for our children to come up and when they reach the age of accountability to move in and transition into a right relationship with God. Relationship, a trusting relationship with God, right? But it is absolute, but let, let's be very, very careful here because what is essential for them to come to that state of a right relationship with God? When they're raised in a home where they haven't, you know, the six-year-old hasn't been drunk and smoking pot and doing drugs and, and, and putting scars in his life. But is he still in desperate need of a Savior? Is he still in de- desperate need of God? Does he still need to come to a fact of being proud of the fact Moving from the state that he's proud of the fact he's a good kid, moving to the point, 
be very, very clear on this. The, the root of sin is what? Self. That's right. The root of sin is self. And self and pride are synonymous. All right? It doesn't really matter how it manifests itself. It doesn't really matter that it manifests itself through a baseline of insecurity. In fact, one of the, one of the worst forms of pride that I've seen comes from a baseline of insecurity. Where you don't feel good about yourself. You don't feel. And, and, and because you've not had good parents that have, that have built security in you. That have, that have built a sense of, of worth as a child of the Most High God. Of created in the image of God and, and meant to live in a right relationship with God. Pride is the root of sin in all of us. In every little child, okay? Self is the root of of sin in all little children. If a child does not come to the point of realizing their desperate wickedness in calling themselves God, okay? Their desperate wickedness in putting themselves before God. Their desperate wickedness in not being obedient to God and submitting to God. If a child doesn't realize that, a child will not transition into a right relationship with him. He will transition into a religious, self-righteous Pharisee, probably, at best. right? Which will mean that he will be impotent and powerless for the sin in his life. For the, for the power of the enemy over his life. Right? So, all of us have that same baseline, desperate need to die to ourselves, to be alive to God. All of us have that same desperate need for a Savior, to be saved from the world which is under the control of Satan, our flesh which is under the control of Satan, the demons that are in Satan himself. We all have the desperate need to be set aside. That's why, if we, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's critical that we mourn for what? For the effects of sin in this world. If, if we, if, this world is rock, is filled with the effects of sin. Okay? The world, the flesh, are filled with the effects of sin. They're devastating in people's lives. Okay? The worst devastation they can cause is to keep you and blind you from realizing your desperate need for a Savior. Just that, no matter how prosperous, for us to envy the wicked is wicked. Okay? For, for us to envy the prosperity that Satan gives the wicked is a, is a, is a terribly dangerous thing. Is it, no, is a terrible thing, period. That we should not envy the wicked. We should mourn for those who are held in captivity by, by the world and the way that Satan has set it up. And believe me, he never rests. He never stops scheming and scamming and setting up ways to control us and keep us from having a right relationship. And the people of this world, he never, never quits trying to line things up and order things so that we won't have a right relationship with him. Relentless in that. The same way God is relentless 24-7 every moment in pursuit of us and desiring to know us. Satan is relentless in destroying that. If we do not mourn with the effects of sin, with the effects of rebellion, with the effects of man believing that man is worthy to be worshipped, 
If we do not mourn from that, we don't see it from God's perspective. So to see ourselves from God's perspective, to see sin and its effect from God's perspective. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me, we, we talked about that one last week. Let me briefly this again. If we time with hunger and thirst because we don't know what that means. Most of the world spends, a big percentage of the world, the high percentage of the world spends the entirety of its day trying to collect enough beans and rice and enough firewood or animal dung to be able to cook that so they can eat it enough to eat in the day. And their lives are consumed. Fresh water is is to some people an, something they don't even know. Something they don't even know of. Okay? Hunger and thirst are something that we know very little of in this country. But when you realize the necessity, the necessity that of, of, of pursuing the fulfillment of hunger and thirst, okay? when, this is not about our opulence. I mean, we live in a perverse society. I mean, we we diet. We don't know what hunger and thirst means. You know, we 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 don't fast as God tells us to. So we don't know what what it means. No, boiled rotten. For us, we need to understand that blessed are how happy are those who realize the absolute necessity. Of what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Of righteousness for our sustenance. Of right standing with God for our sustenance. For our well-being. For life. Okay? With righteousness, we will die. Which is true. Okay? That we hunger and thirst for that. We have this, this insatiable, momentary satiable. Because can we be righteous before God and know peace and joy? Yes. But we need to realize this relentless need for righteousness, for right standing with God. Right? That they'll be satisfied. Right? Need for right standing with God. This, this hunger and thirst for righteousness means what? Right standing with God. Is God all right with sin? You know, God is not all right with sin. Okay? God is not a right with sin in our lives. Righteousness means right standing with God. It means agreeing with God about His, how He feels about what is right and what is wrong. Agreeing with God about His law. Agreeing with God about, about His nature, about His character. Longing for holiness. Which, which hunger and thirst for righteousness by nature, by nature means Hunger and thirst to be rid of sin. Okay? A hunger and thirst to be rid of the power of sin. And go a step further, a hunger and thirst to even be rid of the desire for sin. Because, because we cannot have right standing on to sin. We cannot have right standing when we participate in sin. We are not have a right relationship with God when we are held captive. Okay? Jesus died to set us free. Not just some theoretical future standing before God, 
Jesus died to set us free from the effects and power of sin in this world, in our mortal bodies, and we are to be light and salt in this world, reflecting that distinction, reflecting that freedom. And we can. No, we're not can. We have to, by nature, okay, live that way. Righteousness and holiness are not optional. Righteousness and holiness are what God calls us to. Until we come to that understanding, we are not going to be merciful, right? Why? Because we don't realize what God has forgiven us of. We don't realize our desperate need to be forgiven in order to be right with God. We don't realize our desperate need for a Savior. Let's read a couple of explanations of that. Um, Let's go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is a... What is that where I want to be? Yeah, I want to be in Matthew 18. Verses 21 to 35, okay? Because this is an important... We've heard this before, but it's very important for us to understand. Forgiveness. Okay? Forgiveness is the result of being merciful. Okay? Lack of forgiveness means that we do not have mercy. That we are not merciful. And not being merciful means what? We do not recognize the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. This is not something that we should go, well, I should try to be more merciful. No, that's not the, what we try to do. You know what we try to do? We try to come to an understanding and recognition of our desperate need for mercy. When we come to a state of recognition of our desperate need for a Savior, when we, when we cry out before God, God, forgive me, wretched man that I am. I need you to set me free from this body of death. When we come to that point, okay, then we will, we will show mercy and compassion towards others. We realize what we are forgiven of. When we realize what we are forgiven of, we will have no ability to not forgive. Right? When we realize, so if we do, if we have an unforgiving heart, okay, if we have an unmerciful heart, we have to realize that we do not know the forgiveness of God. And Peter came to him and said, Lord, in verse 21 of Matthew 18, and Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? There's a statement. How often shall my brother sin against me? Because we're not talking here, we're talking, when it talks about mercy, it is talking about an offense, something, the result um, of somebody truly doing how, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Seven times should I forgive him? What did Jesus say? And he said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to seventy times seven. Okay? So how many times have we forgiven somebody two hundred and ten times for the same thing? We tend to think of forgiving them twice as being pretty extreme, huh? Three times? A duff. I've forgiven you three times. Jesus is making a pretty strong point here. 
up to 210 times. I would say basically infinitely, okay, is what Jesus was making. What's that? 70 times 7. I'm sorry, 490 times. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Excuse my math there. I don't know what I was thinking. 490 times. That's even more. Okay? That's a bunch. That would be every day for over a year and a half. The same thing. Right? If that would be the case. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared, this is the parable he gives us, to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. That's about $10 million in silver content. Okay, It's worth much more than that, actually, in buying power. $10 million. Okay, That's a pretty big debt, right? And when he began to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him $10 million. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had to repay and the repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrate himself before him, saying, which was a fair thing, right? I mean, it, it was his slave, and he owed him that money. He could easily have him sold. That was his right as a master, right? The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion, and released him and forgave the debt. Forgave the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a, a hundred denarii. A denarii is about a day's wages. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when the fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that depth because you entreated me. Should you now, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I have had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Right? That's a, that's a, that's a really big statement. Okay? And the concept there is not that the concept there is not that because I forgave, therefore I deserve your forgiveness. Be very clear of that. Okay? We do not deserve God's forgiveness. We do not deserve God's forgiveness. Grace means unmerited favor towards us. Okay? It is by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Okay? It's a gift of God. It's unmerited favor towards us. God's mercy, God's mercy is withholding the judgment to us. Okay? Just like withholding this, the judgment was due him. He owed him $10 million. Like we, our debt is such, we are eternally doomed. We are eternally damned. 
We are eternally worthy of, of living in separation from God because of our rebellion. Because of our willingness to be blasphemous towards Him. I'm very sorry that, that our view of God is so dim that we think, well, you're kind of worthy to be praised and, you know, I should try to do that more often because you kind of deserve that. But when I don't, that's kind of okay. That is a very, very wrong view of God. God is worthy. God is God. Any attitude, any, any action, but any attitude, any heartfelt thing that you are not worthy of my absolute servitude is complete dishonor and disrespect and blasphemous towards God. God is so far above, so perfect, so complete, so powerful, so worthy. Any inclination that he is not is completely blasphemous and worthy of death. For us to live in that state for any amount of time momentarily to what any amount of time is worthy of death. Let's look at one more in Luke 10. Be the Luke 10:25. Okay? Because it, this is this is Jesus saying um he, he's he's trying to explain what does it mean? What, 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 what is the law? In the law, what is written, okay? Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Lawyers, meaning these were, these were people who were professionals in God's law, okay? In the Torah. They, they knew it. Um, they knew what the law said and they were very, very strong um, in holding adherence to it. And they were very self-righteous in that. And a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I would say that's probably the question all of us have. And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. All right? Edgar and I were talking about this yesterday. To figure out, how to convey what he means by agape love because that is the word agape love. We're trying to convey how to, how to convey it in Spanish. We don't even know how to convey it in English. You know, we, we tend to, to uh, the word love is used, we interpret the word love relative to the object that we're projecting we love, right? I, I love this day. You know, I love this weather. Um, I love spring. I love my dog. I love whatever. I love my wife. Okay? Is there a different meaning in those things? You know? Um, there's different meaning in those things. Unfortunately, we have one word for love that we want to use. Agape love is a word defined, determined. Definition is, is given in, in the Bible. We need to be very, very careful in fact, in fact, I don't think it's careful. I think we have to objectively, willingly, um, assertively, aggressively root out our cultural definition of love when we read the Bible and read love and how it's defined in the Bible. 
that has little to nothing to do with feelings. Okay? Feelings are not wrong. Feelings are a good thing. Okay? But, but our relationship with God is not based on what we feel about Him. Okay? It's, it's based on how we act towards Him. Okay? Love for God is the, the word agape love does not ever speak of feelings. The word agape love speaks of surrender to, submission to. Okay? The word phileo love, which is a Greek word, which is used half a dozen times in the New Testament, refers to a, a, a fondness of heart. Okay? Good things towards. Not a bad thing. A very good thing. In fact, we're told to pursue that with each other. We're told to pursue best friends. Okay? We're commanded to agape love. Okay? We're commanded to love. And that is that the, the word agape means to regard others as more important than yourself. You, when, if you read this and say, and he answered and said, you shall have good feelings towards the Lord your God. You shall feel very strongly with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And, and you shall and, and, and you shall love your neighbor, have really good feelings about your neighbor. Tremendous amount of self-righteousness in, in contemporary Christianity that says, well, I don't feel bad about anybody. I like everybody and everybody likes me. And, and, and I feel good about people. I like people. What, that's a, what's that got? Jesus will explain this. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, that's a problem all of us have, okay? Wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus said, ripped him and beat him and went off leaving him for half dead. Chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. All right. That's a good start. He felt compassion. And he came to him. And he bandaged up his wounds, pouring out, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more is spent, when I return, I is active compassion. Right? The way that that will be the result of our life when we realize what God has forgiven us of. When we realize the mercy of God towards us. Okay? We are, we are go and do the same and he means that. Go, go and be compassionate. Go and actively be compassionate. Go and show mercy towards people. I think that it is a very, very important thing because lack of, I know it is, because lack of forgiveness is something that 
has haunted us all, still haunts some of us, still controls us. Okay? If there, it, and, and unfortunately, or tragically, we need to realize that Satan is very, very good about pounding us in such a way, informing our character, informing our nature, to have unjust, to be a victim, to victimize us, okay? On whatever level, in whatever way, from whatever way he can determine will most cause us to not have forgiveness, right? Because if, if, if we can stay in the state of non-forgiveness, that is to not acknowledge, that is not to be forgiven by God, okay? Don't, it doesn't matter how you dress it up. It doesn't matter how it, how it looks. Okay? If we are in a state of unforgiveness where we do not forgive others, we do not know God. Alright? And the necessary thing isn't to try to forgive, to try to forget. The necessary thing is to back up. We have not become poor in spirit. We have not seen ourselves in light of who God is. We have not seen sin for how God sees it and mourned over it. And mourned over, we, we should, we should mourn. The distinction here in having compassion towards people is realizing that Satan holds an evil taskmaster holds them. When somebody does something wrong to us, when somebody wrongs us, alright? Do, the, the, the state, the, there's two states in receiving that. One is that I think fairly well of myself and I don't deserve for you to have me do this to have you act that way towards me. Okay? Is that, how does that relate to being poor in spirit? Okay. That, that doesn't. That's still regarding myself as offendable. Okay? We should not be offendable because it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This isn't just theoretical. This isn't just some up there in this theory thing that we can just floats around and someday in heaven we'll understand it and live. No, this is practically where we live. Am I a dead man? How can you offend a dead man? Okay? Hey, how can you offend me? Who do I think that I am is that I am not worthy of you acting wrongly towards me? You know, that, or, or, we can realize and we can have mercy and we can mourn towards those who we realize that when, when someone sins, when someone acts in sin, when somebody is held captive by sin, we should have mercy and compassion on them. We should show mercy and compassion because we should realize ourselves how desperate it is to be held in captivity by sin, by the, the system that he set up of the world and the flesh. And when we're held, when some, we see somebody held captive of that, we should have mercy and compassion towards them. I want you to consider, well, on this, but this, this has everything to do with do not judge, lest you be judged. Okay? That if we judge without mercy, what does he say? For in the way you judge, you will be judged without mercy. Okay? It's a very important concept to understand. Are we to judge? Yes. The Bible says we are to judge. Okay? 
We can know them by their fruits. We will know them by their fruits. Okay? That, that isn't, but is that without mercy? If it's without mercy, okay, if it's without compassion, uh, we will be treated without compassion and mercy. Right? If we judge with mercy, with compassion, that's why, that's why God says we are not to judge those outside of the church, outside of the body of Christ. Right? Why? They don't have any, any choice. Their lives are controlled by sin. Their lives are controlled by Satan. They have no choice in the matter. Right? Is there, are their actions right? Their actions are sinful and rebellious towards God. But we should be compassionate and merciful towards them because they don't have a choice but to act this way. Right? We should not be resentful or unforgiving towards them. They don't have a choice. Those who claim to be born again are in a different state. Jesus died to set you free from sin. For you willingly to choose to spit in his face is not okay. Which is what we do when we choose to sin. We disregard his authority. We disregard who If you don't have that choice, if you don't have a choice, it's mercy and compassion. It still is mercy and compassion if you have that choice. But it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable to see it, it is no different with, within, the, within the body of Christ. If we see somebody who is held captive by sin, who is living different than that, our response should be no different than if they were drinking Drano. Okay? Did somebody put Drano in your cup and you didn't know it? And, and you're drinking it. We should realize the desperate state that you're in. And we should want to rescue you and help you in that. With the power and truth of God. Because we have, we care. Because we love you. Because we're compassionate. Because we're commanded to love you. Those who are outside are always drinking Drano. Do you know? They, they don't have a choice but to drink Drano. And what should that be in our hearts? Compassion. Mercy. Grace. Towards them. Because they don't know. They can be set free. They can be set free from the destructive devastation, eternal damnation of drink and Drano, in a sense. Of being under captivity of Satan. I went, I went, we are never to judge without mercy. Okay? We are never to live without mercy. If we, it, this isn't a matter that our mercy towards others will bring God's mercy towards us. It's a matter that God's recognition of God's mercy towards us and realization and living in that will bring, by nature, mercy towards others. Let me read again, real quickly, those statements so we can think about them, hopefully this week. We proclaim, therefore... We proclaim. Our lives make the statement, okay? Our lives make the statement whether we have received forgiveness or not by whether we forgive or not. If I am forgiven, I shall forgive. If I am not merciful, there is only one explanation. I have never understood the grace and mercy of God. I am outside of Christ. I am yet in my sins and I am unforgiven. And we need the gospel. And we need the, the gospel. God's freely, the, the greatest example of mercy 
is God towards us. Okay? The, th- the understanding of mercy, what makes us merciful, is to understand that God had mercy on us in sending Jesus in our place. Instead of our due death and judgment and damnation, He put it on His own Son. That was merciful. That was active compassion. That wasn't just feeling sorry for. That was active compassion. Okay? Towards us. Mercy. And we recognize God's mercy towards us. God's forgiveness towards us. We recognize our desperate need for forgiveness. For God's mercy. We cannot hold against us someone else who has offended us. Okay? Let's pray. God, I thank You. I thank You and praise You. You are infinite in Your mercy. I thank You and praise You that You are infinite in Your grace. This is not something that You produce. This is not something that is produced by us. This is something that has always been and always will be. God, I thank You. We, we, We tend to... We have this this really messed up understanding that somehow the Old Testament was about your wrath and judgment and the New Testament is about your grace and mercy and love. You are not a different God. The Old Testament is probably... No. The Old Testament has four times, five times as much inference, as much explanation, as much display of your mercy towards man. It, it, is, it is full of your mercy and your grace. You have always been full of mercy and grace. The pathetic thing that we have is we, we want to live in this humanistic world where we determine value, where we determine right and wrong, where we say there are no absolutes. And we, we let that creep into our thinking. We feel so strongly about in the pit of hell. What is holy? What is the right relationship with you? What is righteous? What is a what is a right perspective of you and what it produces in a human? That has not changed. That never will change. If it does not produce falling on our face in fear and trembling in gratitude. We are. Thank you for your mercy. I thank You for Your unlimited mercy. I thank You for Your grace, Your favor towards us that that caused Your mercy to send Your Son to be the propitiation, the fulfillment of Your judgment, of Your wrath, of Your holiness, of Your righteousness. And I thank You that it didn't just end there. I thank You that 
That same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead and defeated Satan, defeated sin and death, you say is now to be at work and alive in our lives so that we can be set free. These mortal bodies can become holy and righteous so that we can have communion with you. Not so we can be religious drones that act a certain way or looked a certain way, but so that we can have intimate fellowship with you because that's what you long for. And you don't have fellowship with sin. And we can live our lives in such a way that we are holy and righteous before the true and living God. Our, our, our heart should be that your will is done on earth like it is in heaven. That is honoring you for who you are and completely and totally in obedience. God, I ask you to show us what your mercy looked like. Show us who we are in light of who you are. Show us how you feel about sin. Show us what meekness and humility look like. Who we are in light of who you are. God, please show us our absolute necessity of sustenance in righteousness, in right standing before you. That life is only life. and We can only know life by righteousness by right standing with you that that is a thing that is more valuable than anything in the universe is righteousness causes to hunger and thirst and long to be right with you to be free from sin to be free from the effects from the power from the desire to be transformed the renewing of our minds present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice holy before you which is pleasing Jesus I thank you without you we are absolutely utterly dependent on you utterly dependent on your willingness to be obedient to death to be obedient to the Father we are utterly dependent on you providing a way And I thank you for that. Amen.